0: Hello there, I'm Paul Church, I'm the founder of the Anemo Group and your host of Talent and Growth, the podcast dedicated to all things talent attraction and talent retention. And today we are joined by Katrina Collier. Uh, Katrina is the author of The Robot Proof Recruiter, a fantastic book and a must read for anybody who's involved in recruitment, or talent acquisition. I read it myself a few months ago and I thought I've got to see if I can get Katrina on the podcast and kindly she did and we talked all around um, the key topics of the book, um, what really does make a robot proof recruiter, Uh, we talked about what's going to be included in the second edition um, of the book which we published on August the 3rd uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, But yeah I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did, Uh, Katrina is phenomenal, Um, here she is. Katrina, welcome to Talent and Growth. How are you doing?
1: Oh, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Paul.
0: Absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. And I think, look, a, a great place to start as always, if you wouldn't mind, mm. just sharing a bit about who you are, your career, what you do, uh, and a bit about your journey as well. That'd be great.
1: Oh, blimey. You've got half an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I have been in the recruitment industry since 2003 when I fell into it because, of course, nobody chooses to the recruitment industry, do they? Actually, that's not true. I've met two people in my entire 19 years who've chosen it. Um, I fell into agency recruitment, then I was in-house for a while, then I was training, and that was until I was asked by Kogan Page to write the Robot Proof Recruiter, which is uh, probably what I'm best known for in the industry. Um, I've been speaking as well for many years, and of late I've been running workshops with usually talent acquisition teams or recruitment teams all around candidate experience and fixing recruitment processes and it's um it's brought over from the world of design thinking so they're quite a lot of fun and everyone gets involved and really comes up with you know what are our problems and what are our solutions and they're all bought into the process so it's been quite exciting that's what i've been doing of late it was a a sort of a pandemic pivot you could call it but yeah it's fun i'm loving it
0: sounds good and um look the the (laughs) robot proof recruiter is of course um how i came across you know I i was mentioned earlier a couple of people who have been on the show previously recommended it to me so i grabbed it and uh yeah Yeah. i I loved it and uh, of course we're going to be referencing that book throughout this chat but so i suppose what else kind of led you to write it say again sorry
1: Uh, it's right here i should go (laughs) do my usual little plug (laughs) of the book (laughs) um (laughs) what led me to write it is such a great question um I was really honoured because Kogan Page actually approached me. Kerry Timms said to them, go and talk to Katrina. And they said, you know, if you were to write a book, I'm like, I know exactly what I want to write a book about. I am so sick of HR tech vendors, recruitment tech vendors, telling recruiters that they can be replaced by technology and AI. That's what I want to write about. Um, And it was actually really easy to just come up with the robot proof recruiter as the name and to to be able to map out everywhere where we've got everything around the wrong way and why it's happening Um, and I've always been a huge believer that the internet is actually the technology that changed irreversibly changed the recruitment industry and and created really talent acquisition as a function Um, because the transparency it created which is so much of the problem Uh, the fact that you know people can get access really easily and they can see your reviews really easily so how we're treating people is a problem. So I wanted to, to talk about that. But it was quite amazing as I went through writing it is how much bigger recruitment has become because of the internet as well. It used to be quite specifically that you, you know, I've got a job, I'll just call Paul, call Paul, Paul answers his phone, gives me permission to speak, I tell you about the role, you come in for an interview and off we go. And now it's all of these processes and all of these steps and any single part of an employee's life cycle can impact that recruitment process and make it really, really hard to recruit because everything's out there on the internet. So it's, it was really easy in that respect. Um, But also, I mean, how dare anybody say recruiters are replaceable by technology. There's still tellers in the bank for a cash transaction. No one's going to trust their career to a robot. (laughs) Simple as that.
0: (laughs) And how, tell me about the reception you've received for, for the book from the TA and recruitment community.
1: Uh, I, I call it mind-blowing. Um, there are so many, I should say this to you just before we came on, didn't I? There are so many things they don't tell you about writing a book. And one is seeing pictures of it. I mean, one, people reading it on their holidays, which is quite strange. But pictures of it on you know, boats in the Mediterranean. or I've seen it all around the world. I've seen it on six continents. Um, how many people will take the time to message you? to go, gosh, thank you for writing this. You know, you've reestablished my faith in this industry and what we do and how important it is and reinvigorated them. Um, it's been up for a business book award. It was, um, it's shortlisted in its category. Sadly, didn't win, but it did lose out to a very good book. Um, what else has gone on with it? I mean, I've been asked to write a second edition, so it's done well. Um, and, and again, people tell other people. And where I've been particularly impressed as well as, the companies that have bought books for their entire recruitment teams or, say, Keen, Logic, Melon, and Indeed have bought branded copies for their clients, for example. So there's this great ability to, you know, hand it out as a gift as well and make it help more recruiters in that way. Plus, I donated my royalties to Hope for Justice Charity. So the more people that buy the book, the more royalties that get raised. So it's pretty exciting. Very happy with it. Very excited.
0: Very mm. exciting. I think, you know, the impact you've had has been been incredible. And um I think it's something something you just said there that I picked up on is that mm. you're helping people feel proud about their what they what we do in TA again. Yeah. And I think that's that's such a key thing. We you know, we change lives, uh one yeah. way or the other. And I think it's often important that we, we stop and think about that. How good and rewarding and how valuable our roles can be, right? Yeah.
1: I mean when I'm giving presentations, so um, I gave one last week for an event that's supporting Ukraine, so it was lovely to pay it forward. Um, and say so next week I'm uh, speaking with Recruities Together event. And it's always about recruiters need to partner. So if they sit up and be proud of what they do and they partner properly, whether they're internal or external recruiters, I don't honestly care, but they partner with that hiring manager properly. You know, it's hiring manager, but really they're not managing the recruitment process. We are. So sit up, partner with them, partner with HR properly as well so that the human being coming through the process has a great experience, then it's easier. It's easier to get in touch with the person because you've got the great information from the intake. It's easier to keep them in the process because when you get the offer, HR don't, you know, dawdle on documentation or whatever they can do to get in the way. You know, everyone's doing their bit to make it a really good smooth process. Um, and then rejecting people properly as well, which is also an important part, but it's all that, We play with people's lives and I think we need to remember that, that, you know, if we get it wrong, someone could end up homeless. You know, there's so many people that are only a couple of paychecks away from being out in the street. So we have to remember that. And that means start with that proper intake, start properly partnering with your hiring manager so that the rest of the process is smooth. But I just think it's this, I mean, especially this, I'm probably aiming this more internal recruiters and TA. There's just such an important, it's such a need for them to sit up Sit up, put your shoulders back, partner, be proud of what you do because we do get to change lives. And we've all changed lives as well. You know, I can think um, a couple of people, uh, Martin Medforth and Niall McDonough, who's still now, and we're talking 2004, five, who will still say, you changed my life. You know, one I got back into work and the other one I got on a different career trajectory. And it's like they'll still thank me now and you're like, wow, that's a long time later to still be grateful. That's because what we do is so important.
0: Hundred percent, and that's lovely. And and I suppose if we let's delve into it a little bit. Then what 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 is what's wrong with recruitment and talent acquisition in twenty twenty two? In your opinion?
1: Oh God, where do I start? Um, <laughs> LinkedIn recruiter? No. Um, <laughs> wow. It, there. I mean, there are unfortunately so many things. I think there is. It's it, it's funny because there's just so little training. And I think it all comes back to that. There is, you know, the people that bring in the people aren't invested in. And that's crazy because the people make the company succeed. So, whether again, whether you're staffing or or, uh, talent acquisition, it doesn't matter. You need to develop yourself. You need to be the best recruiter you can be. But for some reason, there isn't funding. And then that leads to, okay, well, here, Paul, you've just started our company. Here's LinkedIn recruiter. And all you know how to do is run a keyword search and spam because you don't know how to do a proper intake. You don't need to. You don't know how to get under the skin of that role and get all the extra information that you need to stand out. So you end up creating all of this noise on top of all of the other noise that's already going on, all the data that's produced day to day, and you can't get people to buy. So there starts being this oh god recruiters and you know spam and it's so annoying. But I think it. Much as that's probably one of the symptoms, really, I think it goes back to we're not investing in the people that bring in the people. Uh, and, again, whether that's both sides, I don't care. Um, I tend to talk more in-house, but to me it's, it's all the same. If you're, giving your, if you're a company giving your recruitment to an agency, you also need to be making sure that you're spending enough time with them up front and doing a proper intake and that that agency, the staff are trained so that they can do a really good job representing you in the marketplace as well. So that would probably be one of the problems. I do think as well we are, even though there's talk of a recession, I'm a little more sceptical. I think there's a lot of companies that have overhired, perhaps they're VC funded and have overhired and trying to downsize a bit or they're trying to appease sh- uh, shareholders, et cetera. But in general, there was so much downsizing in 2020 of companies because they panicked and didn't know what to do, never been through it before, which is fair. Now they're trying to overhire and the natural flow of people's got a bit out of whack. And then you've got people have got more like, well, actually, I've been able to work at home. I don't want to go back into the office. So I'm, you know, I'm now looking around because people are forcing me back in. Or they've had a, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I think of my Uber driver who's used to run a restaurant. It's like, I'm not doing that anymore. And then he tells me six chefs who are now driving scooters for Uber Eats. They don't want to do it anymore either. So there's all of this reassessment going on as well. And all of that is making it harder for recruiters to get attention and keep attention. Um, And then you get the, of course, I'm hearing of ridiculous counteroffers going on as well, which is, again, this part of these people adjusting, putting their feet out, you know, they're they're looking out into the marketplace to see what's going on because they feel like they've been underpaid. And it's a lot of reassessing going on. It's quite fascinating. I mean, I've certainly not seen it before.
0: It is fascinating. I think what one thing you mentioned there is that in 2020, obviously, we none of us had been through that before um, mm-hmm. to that degree. Um, so a lot of people were let go in recruitment and talent acquisition. Mm. Um, and now what that's led to is us losing people forever. Uh, those second and three-year people have gone. Yeah. So you'd think we might learn from that. But of course, now we're talking recession again. We're seeing the Netflixes and the Klanas and stuff. They're letting a lot of good people go. So why do you yeah. think that is? Because the last few years, people have been clamoring to find recruiters. And now when the first one of any trouble, we're letting them go again.
1: What, what, what so, do you think Again, about? I'm not into it's a recession. Uh, I just think that people, the cost of living is is biting. So you've got people not, they're like, well, Netflix is a choice. I can save that however many quid it is a month. I don't actually have Netflix. Is that odd? I probably like one of the only humans in London that doesn't have it. Is it a tenner a month? Um, so they're just like, I'm going to save that. And Kleiner, again, is about... I'm purchasing something and I'm going to do X number of payments. And maybe right now they're just a bit like actually, I until I know what my gas bill's doing or my electric bill's doing, I'm not prepared to to do that sort of purchase. Um, however, I've just bought all of my bathroom stuff on the Klana. So I'm obviously bending the rule there. But it, it's so I think it again, are we heading into a recession or is it just some companies are a bit more vulnerable? And then if you go back to the pandemic, it was like there were certain companies that were really vulnerable. Companies have outright closed because they were hospitality, for example. The whole chains of restaurants disappeared because of the industry that happened to be in when that that happened. So I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong and I could find we're in another recession. I've been through so many in my life. I'm just like another one. <laughs> it's like it seems to be cyclical to me. So I'm not sure I'm answering your question, um, but I do understand why Companies, of course, get rid of their talent acquisition. They'll probably foolishly get rid of marketing as well. Um, But I understand why they do it because they're like, well, we're not recruiting. What are they doing? Um, I do love the companies that are a little more sensible. I was um, doing a book club actually for one just recently, and they aren't hiring, but they've instead of letting go of their team, they're like, we want you to build talent pools. We want you to put into place everything you haven't been able to put into place while you've just been so busy firefighting. And they've just said, like, basically, I can't remember if it was six weeks or three months of no recruiting, but they've actually kept their team, which I guess is the learning you're talking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing for me um, that's always been important is is effective community building, which I think goes hand mm. in hand with presenting yourself as a true expert in your field. What What are your mm. tips for becoming... An authentic voice in your market.
1: Well, I think one of the things that well, I hope you're finding me like this is that I am the same when you meet me as I am online. So have that level of we can use authenticity if you want to use the buzzword that's been killed. It used to just mean authenticity. Um, but you know, be genuine, be yourself, but don't make it about you, you know, whether it's my LinkedIn newsletter or my blog or my podcast or whatever as you're doing, it's adding value to the industry. You share updates that help. You know, I see, oh, let's say, recruiter posts bemoaning, I don't know, somebody's written their CV in a ridiculous font, um, for example. I'm being trivial. But, you know, why write that? Why not write something like, hey, here are my three top tips for writing a CV? You know, just keep one font, keep it a professional font, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, just make it, add value rather than just being judgy and critical. And I see far too much of that going on. Um, So that to me is a big part of it. But I also think the other enormous part that's often overlooked is stop ghosting. You know, if you really genuinely want to come across as a valuable recruiter, just doing that alone is enough to build a brilliant reputation by being that person that's there. I mean, you might be less known on social media, you know, you mightn't be me or Amy Miller, for example, who's forever helping job seekers, but you'll be known in your market as a person that's reliable and authentic and genuinely cares. And just, you know, be aware, it's something like 84% of people who are ghosted by a recruiter get down or depressed. So it's, it's you know, going back to that impact that we make as recruiters. So things like that, always closing out a client, a, a candidate, always letting them know where they are in the process, giving them no news. That is news, you know, just keeping in touch with people, um, those sorts of things. So probably not quite the answer you were expecting.
0: No, I mean, that's, that's, you know what, of course that well, it's such a key thing, um, mm-hmm. is not ghosting candidates and making sure they have a good experience, whatever happens and just telling them, I mean, you know, I've, mm. I, I very rarely get uh negativity when I tell someone they haven't got the job I tell them hmm. why I tell them what happened and they, they're they mm-hmm. grateful and uh, yeah. so I think it's a really key point you're saying around the, the actual the mental health aspect of it um those who don't do Huge. it cause I've not actually heard it put like that before it's very interesting
1: yeah it's uh who did the research I now can't remember Oh, that's so annoying of course it's in addition to the robot proof recruiter um <laughs> <laughs> but there are a couple of campaigns that are going on. There's a Circle Back initiative, and it wasn't them. It was the other one, like End Ghosting, End Ghosting Report. I think it's end, end-ghosting.com. Um, I can totally um, oh, – Tripad, that's who it was. Tripad did it. Um, and they totally looked at that. You know, and I've actually put a just a update on LinkedIn, and people were saying things like, as a recruiter, if a candidate ghosts me – Some felt relief because then they realized they're going to be flaky employees. So, thank goodness. Or they feel a little irked or, you know, whatever, moving on, next. You know, how we feel is so different to how they feel. And I think we forget that. The other thing I um, actually, again, went into addition to was I saw a spreadsheet someone had done where she'd written all of the applications that she'd made and she wrote ghosted every time she didn't hear back from an application. And that was really eye-opening because to me, it'd be like you'd had an interview, you should hear back, not less so. So even that, it's really important that there is a human being behind every single email, every call, every text. There's a human being. You need to remember to go back to them. So it's hard. I get that. But there is technology that can help with that. So you don't
0: have to. Yeah, absolutely. These days, you know, there's very little Mm. excuse not to now with what's out there. But um, when, Mm. when it comes to making the the most out of our LinkedIn profile as, mm. as the window to us as tr- uh, mm. tra- trusted experts what advice would you give around that
1: yeah and actually the reason it matters because much as LinkedIn is one of the most inactive you, you know as far as user bases go and only has 700 million profiles they do rank very well when you google someone so Paul Church probably less so Katrina Collier you google me my LinkedIn profiles at the top because it's an unusual names so anyone with an unusual name be aware Um, So it's likely that the person will go there or you'll direct them there and including your hiring managers. So things like have a photo where, you know, someone else has taken the photo, you know, look approachable. Um, Please go into your settings and check it is actually visible to your second and third level connections. You'd be surprised how often it's not. Crazy LinkedIn setting. And your headline. So photo and your headline. I also think if you have a really difficult to pronounce name, Using the audio option to say. So, if someone actually gets on a call with you, they don't feel nervous about how do I say your name? Um, and it was hilarious because I was, um, I started recording the audio for the book as well. And some of my people I wanted to acknowledge, I needed to check how they pronounced their names because I was sure I wasn't getting it right and it wasn't there. So, these are tiny little things that will really help candidates feel really comfortable. And then it's things like when you get to, your summary and your experience, share how you've added value, share what you've achieved. Um, Ray Murphy taught me he was one of my first recruitment uh, leaders. Poor man. Sorry for him having to do that, but he was brilliant. And he used to say to me, so what? So if you write a bullet on your profile or on your CV, for example, when you finish it, write so what? You know, so came on the podcast with Paul. So what? Which meant that I got to share some knowledge that was valuable to the industry, that sort of a thing. So it's what's the benefit? What's the achievement? And go through your profiles thinking that way. And, you know, the reader, the reader's a candidate or potentially a client or a hiring manager. What are they seeing? Is it valuable? Can you share some rich media? Have you shared like a a day in the life of what's it like at your company? What do you do? You know, if you're putting, uh, I'm a headhunter. People don't know what that means. If they're putting um, talent acquisition, what does that mean? What do you do? Um, and who do you recruit for and how are you adding value? Those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And you mentioned <laughs> earlier around. Uh, sorry, go on. Does go
1: on. this lots of stuff? I could go on and on. I'm not even Absolutely. a marketer.
0: <laughs> well, you wrote a book on it, didn't you? plenty so of well, well, yeah, chapter um, two. <laughs> chapter two. Um, so we mentioned earlier around uh, how technology can, of course, assist with that. Um, mm. A- acknowledgement of an application. Well, yeah. How else should we be using technology support the, the, to support the candidate's journey?
1: Yeah, actually, just saying that, when it is things like acknowledging an application, please, do, if you're an internal recruiter especially, please don't write kind regards to the talent acquisition team. Put your name. Let people know. Because actually, if you do end up rejecting someone who actually was incapable of presenting themselves well on the CV, that incredibly difficult-to-write document that most of us fail on, then they can get in contact with you because they have your name or they can connect with you somewhere else and start to become a little known, liked, and trusted by you. So, you know, things like that. But, I mean, keep it to the basics. You know, don't do it necessarily and people will uh, disagree with me. I get very concerned about it being used for outreach, you know, sending unexplained invites to connect on LinkedIn or lots of messages without tailoring them, without taking the effort to make sure that you look like you've read that person's profile. So they I have hesitancy. But where it can be great is, you know, we've had a conversation, schedule an interview. Here's a tool to do that. You know, use it to remind you that you need to get back to people. When it comes to things like the pre-boarding, when you get all the way through, making sure that your hiring manager is doing their part. And and keeping in touch with that person so they'll actually start because, you know, back in the day, people would start a job when they were given an offer. Now they've, they've got multiple offers on the go and they're not necessarily starting. So it's like think about how can I be better at my job by using the technology and just make sure that isn't making a negative experience for someone else by doing that. Um and I was I, I always have this think human first, the technology supporting. How is this making it a better human experience for myself, for the candidate for the hiring manager? And then it should work, hopefully. Otherwise I know a great book. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> Actually, of the there's book, a few about <laughs> Yes.
0: If somebody was gonna read just one chapter of your mm-hmm. books, and only one,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which one would you tell them to read? Chapter five.
1: Chapter Chapter five, five. yeah. When I was writing it and I got to chapter five, which is all about the intake strategy session, I sort of started laughing because it was this realization that I don't know how I recruited. It was a quieter time, you know, and I've been very honest. This is why there are 74 people that helped me write this book. You know, there's lots of examples and, and backing up my thinking because it's been a while since I recruited. And but it was a quieter time. So I would just find someone and get in touch with them and people would reply, but they won't do that now. And I used to be given a job description that probably came out of the third drawer from two years ago and wasn't accurate to what they were recruiting. I was kept at arm's length and I wasn't able to get close. Or when I was working in-house, it was just click view, billions of rows of data, has to be able to speak technology and business, like and English. That's it. Like that's what we need. And so that was a really easy because it was a repeat role, but it was wow. This world now—you need to really get under the skin of a role. You need to know, and it's it, by the way, I should say I crowdsourced this. This the the, the wisdom in there from Steve Levy, Maisha Cannon, and Tanji Pettis around managing your hiring managers and doing that intake. It's just dynamite, and it's talking about like understanding your marketplace understanding your reputation, your, your competitor's reputation, DEI, all of those things. And then the role itself, like, what is it really? What is that person coming in to do? What problem are they going to fix? How will they know if it's successful hire in six months, 12 months, all these kind of questions so that when you go out to the marketplace, you're not just another recruiter going, hey, you want a job? which it almost is that bad for so many people's messages, you can actually go, you know, we're currently looking for someone to come in and fix this problem. I can see in your background you've done something. Would this be of interest to you? Could we have a conversation? Or it could be just a more general outreach. of like, you know, we're regularly looking for people to fix this sort of a stuff. What are you doing next? And without that conversation and a proper intake and a proper agreeing the SLA agreeing, I'm going to do this and you're going to do this and together we're going to fill the role and really demystifying what we do as recruiters. And again, whether it's staffing or in-house, I don't care. But if you don't agree all of that up front, you just waste so much time as well. So don't let your hiring managers say to you, no, I'm not giving you half an hour, an hour up front. If they do that, tell them to come back to you when there really is a burning business need because it's so valuable to get that information up front. It will improve the candidate experience. It will improve the employer brand. It will save the hiring managers so much time. And obviously it will save you a lot of time, which is also good. But you've got to focus on what's in it for them and so on. But that Chapter 5, <laughs> and having just reread it and everything, I'm just even more Chapter 5. It's, it, the whole book, it's, the crux of it is all about that. So there you go. not sure which chapter you expected me
0: to say, but chapter five. I mean, well, I mean, there's plenty in there. No, absolutely. I just wanted to kind of pin you down on one. Uh, But a book was published in 2019. Yes. uh, A year before, or nearly a year before the pandemic hit. So we know that there's edition two. It's coming out on August the 3rd. Mm what have been the, the key changes or evolutions you've had to include in the book based on what we've all been through in the last few years
1: um obviously the little bit about flexible working actually makes me laugh quite a lot when i read it <laughs> so that's become just like a yeah whatever i think that surprisingly i was saddened that 3 years on people are still spamming and they're still not making the effort to treat people well they're not They're still not getting the impact, but I think that goes back to the lack of training and investment. Um, But then also what I found more interesting was how many more candidates are now writing reviews as well because so many people who perhaps were avoiding technology suddenly had to use it because we were all suddenly at home, right? So a lot of people who were resistant got tech savvy, and then started realising, oh, wow, I can write about the poor experience I'm having. I can vent. And I don't just mean on Glassdoor and Indeed. You know, it can be kanuna it can be all the other sites and there's a plethora of sites. But also on Recruiting Hell on Reddit, Um, there's a specific one about for employees as well, which is also quite entertaining. They're all entertaining and devastating at the same time. But, of course, the usual, they'll go to Twitter, they'll go to TikTok, they'll go and share what their experience is like. Um, so that's increased so i think even more the need to really pull the human human side of you out to have that empathy and compassion for people to have that you know ability to build trust to really listen to people and to understand what they're wanting and to really what we should do i feel as recruiters is to be switzerland you know to be neutral to be like i'm sitting in the middle again whether you're in house or agency it doesn't matter but that's my job is to you know, make match the my client or my hiring manager with that candidate. So it's really making sure that you're doing that well. And a lot of that, so much of that is that human side. Um, what else has changed? I just I just think it's just harder across the board. Probably when I wrote this, I was aiming it more at technology and health sector. And now it's like, it could be hard to recruit anybody. It could be hard to recruit recruiters. And it's still hard, even with some of the downsizing. So those recruiters will be snapped up in a heartbeat.
0: Absolutely. So. And on recruitment, on recruiters yes. rather. So most people get into talent acquisition or recruitment, they start an agency still. Most people start yeah. an agency and then they may end up in TA or whatever. Yeah. So let's just, let's, let's, let's focus on the agency side for a moment. Yeah. Do you believe it's possible to train new agency recruiters a hundred percent remotely? And if so, how? Or what's the best way?
1: <laughs> wow, there's a question. Um, actually, I'm not convinced you could. Because I... Mm, sorry, anybody who's new to the world of recruitment and wants to work 100% remote, but I'm thinking of my own experiences because I had Mel Agostini was huge part of probably... Actually, to be fair, it's probably half of her teaching in this book. And she would take me to see clients. I would go and sit in on interviews. You know, it was really spending that time picking up all of the little things that you don't, you wouldn't pick up remotely. Um, Of course, you can still shadow remotely. So I suppose you could just learn to interview and do all that sort of stuff. Mm, Is it as good? I don't know. I guess so. You could share, yeah, you could shadow using Zoom, that sort of a thing. But I would also like, with anybody that's new, you know, I want them to be getting taught how to source properly, getting taught how to one drill into their own database properly. But, you know, how do I actually go into the internet and find people properly? And then, you know, how do I engage and get in contact with people properly? That you can totally do remotely. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the sourcing trainers I know. You do do that remotely, yeah, I think a, a combination would be quite good i I do feel as well it's um oh God going back to my first few weeks it's it's hard I mean it's such a tough job, particularly if you're having to do new business. you probably need the support of your colleagues right there in those first certainly the first few months to start getting on your feet and then you could probably work more remotely. so maybe a combination part it out. I don't know whether I said the right thing or not. It probably just alienated a few book readers. Just, p- just p- <laughs> opinion. Just
0: opinion. Just opinion. I was just keen hearing yours. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's um, yeah, good question though. Thanks for that. So I think <laughs> I think when
0: we talk, because I've heard from a lot of agencies that they don't mm. believe that you can do that. But I believe, my, so my opinion on this is that mm. um, they're talking about replicating that sales floor buzz. Mm. Now I don't know if the sales floor buzz is as applicable. Now, as it was when I got into recruitment, I think yeah, great. it's a different person altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so it's, so I, I was interested to hear your thoughts on it. Um,
1: See, I would, if I was to go back into the world of agency recruitment, which I absolutely won't. Sorry, much as I occasionally get offered, and I'm like, nope, sorry, not doing that again. I, I full stop. I don't. I just feel like I have too much to give and help with the industry that I'd be lost doing that. But the, I would start with the candidates but I would find an agency that will let me do that. I would want to become the go-to person in the market for whatever it was. Um, Be careful. So I'm technology background, so say you pick PHP, make sure it's not the future COBOL, if anyone's old enough listening to know what I'm talking about. You know, it could become a, 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 a defunct tech, so you have to be really careful, but I would be doing it that way around. I would be talking to candidates getting under the skin of it, hopefully getting some developers to explain what they actually do. I mean, that's the joy of being in-house. You can go and sit with the team and say, sorry, what is this stuff? What do you do? And really, you know, understand it. But I would be doing that, and that's how I would be opening doors. Like, oh, gosh, I was talking to this recruiter, Katrina Collier. She really knows the stuff. But that's slower. That's a slow burn. It's not going to be. But then how can you cold call these days? I mean, how do you get somebody to... <laughs> They don't have desk phones. You can't do like back in the day where you rang by accounts. I'm chasing an invoice. Oh, no, I was after Paul. Why have you put me through to accounts?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cold anymore. call, <laughs> I was a big, um, you know, I, I come from a very business level heavy background and I, was, yeah. you know, I, I loved cold calling back in the day. Uh, since setting up my new business, I haven't made one cold call. It's For me, it's about trying to book appointments with potential clients based on yeah. me already having added them some sort of value. Um, yeah. which means they're going to want to engage with me. So uh, I've, I've done a U-turn on that hundred percent.
1: See, and that value, if I was to do what you're talking about, I would be like, okay, so I'm the go-to person for PHP. I've no idea why I picked that. No, nothing about PHP, but the I would be running events for it. So I'd be creating meetups and I'd be sponsoring that, or I'd be attending them and letting the organizer know, look, I'm a recruiter. I just want to learn. I'm going to sit in the back of the room and be quiet. Can I, buy them some pizzas or something, and I would be doing that sort of a value add. And that's another way to open doors. And, again, but it's about trust. You've got to build that trust. Um, And too often it's not. And Actually, people get shirty as well. I had somebody uh, send me an invite to connect, which I accepted because I thought they were in our space. And then literally a split second later got the sales pitch and I just wrote back, I, I didn't connect for a sales pitch. And she just told me to chill. Or something and it was like remove connection block you know like stop it actually I didn't block her but I removed it because it was like again you know no trust no time has been taken and I think it's really funny the <laughs> these mobile phones which I didn't grow up with and I'm so grateful for that they allow us to have really fast communication yet not because mm-hmm. people ignore them all the time um oh they tell me I've spent money that's exciting don't look at my phone um but they so they distract, people ignore them, but at the same time they've created such a shortcut in communication. We've forgotten how to build trust. We've forgotten the importance of taking the time to become known, liked, and trusted, which I think is chapter two again. And going into that, we need to do that with our hiring managers and with our candidates, and then it's easier to match the two. So, different world.
0: It certainly is. <laughs> Um, we're going to put a bow on a couple of things now so what are your top three tips for becoming a robot proof recruiter how would you summarise what are the top three tips
1: Uh, totally bring out all of your human skills so you have to remember all of the time this is a human being it's not like I mentioned earlier an email a text or whatsapp it's a human being so if I was in their shoes. How would I want this presented to me? How would I want to be spoken to? And all those sorts of stuff. So, you know, treat people with that kindness and that empathy and the compassion and build trust and just bring up those really, really superhuman skills. Um, the other thing to be robot-proof is you've got to get that intake right. It, it really is the crux of an entirely brilliant recruitment process. And without it, it was just, it's destined to fail. So start using the audacity again, human skill rather than a technical skill, to push back, even with your clients. And I know that sounds crazy, but your clients will respect you more for it. If you're going to sit there and say, look, I, I'm sorry, but, you know, particularly at a moment when there's, you know, it's it's hard to find people, right? So it's like, look, if you're not going to give me the, the almost the je ne isn't it, that that under the skin stuff about the role, I can't help you with this. I'm here to help you with this, right? I don't want to waste your time. I want to save your time. So I need that time. It's like had that audacity to push back. Uh, What were my three things on? Being robot-proof. And I I guess lastly, just step through the entire recruitment process. Whether you're agency or in-house, I want you to go through every single step and just work out if you're creating obstacles. I still see posts from people who go, somebody got in touch with me and then they expect me to jump through their ATS, which is like six steps of you know, refilling in my CV and passing a psychometric and doing whatever. Just stop it. Cut the noise out. Okay, oh, I add a fourth. Yeah. Please. please advertise the salary on the job. <laughs> I just, I'm so fed up with this. I um a friend who's a recruiter was looking for a new job, and she. She couldn't believe what this company. She just wanted to know what the salary was. And she had to answer three questions. And then they said, oh, you've passed to get to the next stage. Um, and then there was another 20 questions. And she still hadn't spoken to a human being. She's like, I just want to know what the salary is. Because if the salary is not enough, I'm not going to proceed, am I? And it was just like, stop, stop that. If you're not going to put the salary on it, allow somebody to get through to you immediately to find out what it is. Because it's just it's, it's money. It's fundamental. We all need to know what money it is before we waste anybody's time. Um, so that would be a big one as well. That was a fourth, I snuck one in.
0: No, I like that. I agree. It's a big, talk- <laughs> it's a big talking point right now as yeah. well. And I, think, I think the challenge of it is, is actually that's just the small the small problem because the bigger problem is companies don't want to do it mm-hmm. because internally they mm-hmm. haven't got transparent sal- salaries. So they've got to fix what's going on on the inside before they can yeah. fix what's going on, on the outside, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely agreed. However, all of those people are now out shopping for counter-offers. You know, it it really is amazing how many people are just doing that. Um, By the way, if you do think someone is counter-shopping, this is from Barbara Bruno, this is also in the book because counter-offers weren't such an issue when I wrote it the first time. Um, Ask them really early, like I would do in the screening call, if you were your boss, what three things would you change? And if they come back with salary, you know, benefits etc all money related then you know they're shopping for a salary but if they come back and go oh gosh i wish we could change this process or i'd run this project this way and they start talking about you know things that would improve the company different processes and stuff then they're genuinely looking for a job so it's quite an interesting one great question so yep
0: love that love that happening um
1: totally stolen (laughs) <laughs> she'd make a great guess. that's
0: fine you credit her credited. I that's
1: always fine. credit always 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 yeah,
0: absolutely final question where are we going in talent acquisition over the next five years what does the talent the third acquisition edition you so say? you mean
1: in-house oh gosh yeah. third edition oh Bella got over the second um, <laughs> um, just watch out like truly watch out I, I'm very excited what's going on in there Um, the development of talent intelligence, um, real talent pipelining, not all. Like, obviously, these are companies of a certain size that can do that. Um, But, yeah, watch out. If you're sitting there thinking that they just CV shuffle, they're not. They don't do that. That's definitely not what happens inside companies. They are, well, the companies that are really sensible, off, you know, funding a lot of training, a lot of improvement and process improvement. You know, the human sides are training up all the soft skills and all that kind of stuff to make the team really good. But they're developing, and I, I love watching it. You know, actual sourcing functions. So people that just spend time finding the people and, t- and talent, pooling them. You know, you've got your three hundred and sixty recruiters. Obviously, there are even like talent business partners coming along. But the talent intelligence side is also really interesting. Um and any that are also creating bonds with like the workforce planning so they can start being proactive, not reactive. That's also really exciting. So yeah, watch this space. Because I think for not all companies, because the companies are going to do the usual thing of let's not fund the people that bring in the people, because that would be smart. Um, but the ones that do and see actually, gosh, you know, they really are the people that decide the fate of the company. Then that's gonna be interesting. So I, I can't wait to see it. Wonder if I'll still be in the industry, though. Did you say 10 years? Wow.
0: You'll get pulled back <laughs> in, I'm sure. I I'm might retire the by then. <laughs>
1: oh. um,
0: look, Katrine, look, it's been a pleasure sitting down with you today. Um, I'm you, sure Paul. people may want to reach out uh, to you just to pick your brain on things. What's the best way sure. for people to contact you if they do?
1: Um, well, Google me, I'm everywhere. Um, the, the website's katrinacollier.com. Very complicated, that. Um, LinkedIn, if you do, though, I love a personalized invite to connect on LinkedIn. So tell me that you heard me here that always is wonderful to hear things like that um but yeah anywhere i'm on all of the socials except tiktok because i'm just too old for that <laughs>
0: me, me too me yeah, too yeah. um there's nice a definite between. demographic Thank- i'm not in it you <laughs> thanks so much for being a part of talent Grove. really enjoyed it
1: thanks paul